the following message entitled Rethinking Our Identity and Purpose in Christ was given by Joe Ryer on the 18th of January, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to start at Romans chapter 12. Today we're going to focus on Romans 12 verses 3 through 6. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how clear it is. Thank you for um, the fact that it is your word, that you have preserved it through century after century, and you have it for us today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you dwell inside of every one of us who has trusted in Jesus and you will help us to understand your word. So we pray for help this morning. Lord, pray that every one of us who has trusted in you would see our part that we play in your great plan and story throughout um, this area and at this time in the world as well. And I just ask for your help to, to preach your word. And Lord, we, we pray for Bob Mundorf at home. We just pray you would heal him and he would feel well and he would get rest today as well. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the title of the message today is Rethinking Our Identity and Purpose in Christ. Rethinking Our Identity and Purpose in Christ. And to help us this morning, I want to start with an important book that my son Isaac gets every year from his Aunt Mo. It's the 2014 Steelers Yearbook. Show of hands, who owns this? Anybody in the room? Hey, we got one. I believe that's Allison. <laughs> Maybe two. Well, every year my son gets this book, and every year he pours over it, and every year he uses his incredible memory to, to remember a lot of information about this book. Now, if you're not a football fan, don't tune out, because this will actually help. So I don't want you to say it out loud, but I want you to think, how many current Steelers can you name? So... And I don't mean just players, so anybody on the coaching side, staff side, administration side, ownership side, and players. Okay, so you got the question, how many Steelers can you name? And especially those of you who are not football fans, I want you to think, how many Steelers can you name? So you don't like football, you don't even like a message starting with an introduction, using football as an illustration, you despise everything about football, I bet you can still name one or two people with the Steelers organization. Well, if you own this yearbook, one of the things you'll discover is there are, in 2014, there were 90 players on the Steelers roster when this came out. So maybe you thought of Ben or Troy, or maybe some of the older guys, you thought of Brett Kiesel. Um, so there's 90 players. Now, they don't all make it, but a lot of them do, and a lot of them are on the practice squad. So there is a ton of football players they make up the Steelers organization, though we may only be aware of a few. Now, on the office side of things, guess how many people are on that side? So coaching, administration, planning, organization. There are 89 people on the office side of the Steelers. So it starts with the Roonies and works its way down. So if you're good with addition, that would be 179 people making up this organization. Now, for the casual fan or for the non-fan, you might be aware of one or two people, three people at the most. But if you're the owner of the Steelers, Mr. Rooney himself, 
he's familiar with every position, for sure. He might not know every first name, but he understands it takes a lot of people to run a successful NFL organization. Well, what, what's the point? The point is I want you to see how many people it takes to make up something as maybe trivial as a football team. And you know, at times the media or we ourselves as fans, we might focus in on a few, but in order for it to be successful, every part has to work and every specific member of the team has to fulfill their specific role. Well, the connection I want us to make is when, when it comes to the church, both universal and local, it's not just a few people that are involved. And so when God sees the church, He doesn't see Jesus and a few famous pastors. He doesn't see Jesus when He looks at this area and the pastors. When God looks at the church, both universal and local, He sees Jesus at the head for sure. And then He sees all of you. Every single one of you that has been saved by Jesus, you are all part of His church and all have a part to play in His church. And we make a mistake when we reduce the church to Jesus plus a few other people. Because that is not the New Testament picture of the church universal or the church local. So look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. And remember, our goal is to rethink our identity and purpose in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, one human body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you were here last week, Bob started Romans 12 by preaching on verses 1 and 2. And he he reminded us that when we put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we were forgiven, justified, made righteous. And then we were called by God to be living sacrifices for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our Christian lives. We're to, we're to not be conformed by this world, but we're to be transformed, renewed in our mind by God's truth, by God's Holy Spirit. And, and that renewing starts in the mind. And that's why this morning we're going to use our mind to rethink a few things. We're going to rethink our identity. Who are we as Christians? Who are you in Christ? We're going to rethink the importance of other Christians, parentheses, especially the ones that aren't like us. Rethink the importance of other Christians, especially the ones that are not like us. And then lastly, we're going to rethink our usefulness in the church. Do you have a purpose? Do you have a part to play? Are you playing that part right now? Let's begin with this. Rethink 
your identity. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, and Paul means by the grace given to him to be called an apostle in the church, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul begins with reminding the Romans that first he's an apostle called by God for a very unique role in the church. And then he warns them from his role, don't be proud, don't be arrogant, don't be hyper-exaggerated in your opinion of yourself. And why is he so concerned about pride? Why are the New Testament authors so concerned about pride? Why was Jesus himself so concerned about pride? I think one of the reasons is nothing will hinder God's work in the church faster than arrogant leaders or arrogant members. So, so Paul knows he's going to get to the subject of the church functioning together, but he wants to warn us first, don't have an elevated opinion of yourself. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. And remember, he's writing to the Christians in Rome. So they were a mixture of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so, it's likely that there were Jewish Christians in the church in Rome who could trace their family tree if they went on to Ancestry.com. They could show us, I'm related to Abraham. Look at me. And they were proud about it. And we know from what the Roman culture was like, it was very ungodly. And so there, there was most likely Gentile members of the church who were radically rescued out of gross sin and slaving sin, terrible sin. And they experienced this incredible power of a changed life. And maybe some were, were tempted to be proud about it. To not boast in the Lord, but to boast about their unique experience. Similar to the Corinthians when it came to the spiritual gifts. No matter what the case, Paul warns them and us, don't, don't become proud. Don't be arrogant. When you join a church, when you're a part of a church, be humble. And then he tells us, he, he gives us some help. Well, how, how do we do that? He says, but think with sober judgment, with clear thinking. If you want to battle pride as a Christian, have a sober, clear judgment about it. Remember who you are by nature. Romans chapter 3, how dark and depraved we are by nature. Remember that Jesus Himself is the one who forgave us, who died for us, who lived a perfect life, something we could never do. Remember God's Spirit is the one who makes us alive and even gives us power to obey. Remember those things because they'll keep us lower. We won't be arrogant and proud. Because this is important. You think of even like a sports team or any kind of organization. If there are arrogant members of it, it, it ruins the whole team. It ruins the whole mission or, or task at hand. And so, where it applies, we want to be humble because of who we are in Christ. We want to have a sober judgment, a clear thinking. Now, the flip side is also true. There may be some of you as Christians that you just... You just feel miserable. You, are, you have a low opinion of yourself. You, you think you're, there's the bottom and then you're a step below that yet. You, you have a very bleak look of yourself. 
as a Christian. Well, you need sober judgment too because that, that's not God's picture of you at all. You have been adopted as a daughter or a son. You have been forgiven. You have been brought into the family. And so as we're going to be a functioning member of the body, we don't want to be arrogant, nor do we want to be given to just beating ourselves up over and over again. If your self-image is one of just, I hate who I am, and it's so lowly and dark, that's not God's picture of you as a daughter or son of God. So before we, we figure out how we play a part, we've got to be okay with who we are in Christ. We have to be clear on rethinking our identity. A pastor named Ray Stedman wrote, wrote the following about our identity. He has since gone to be with the Lord, but this is how he started every day of his life as a Christian. So this is what I tried to do. Just listen, it's a, it's a long quote. He says, first... I am made in the image of God. So when he wakes up in the morning, when he woke up in the morning, I am made in the image of God. I'm not an animal. I don't have to behave like an animal. I have an ability within me, given to me by God himself, to respond and relate to God. Therefore, I can behave as a man and not as a beast. So it's sober judgment. Who am I? I am made in the image of God. Second, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. The most amazing thing has happened. Though I don't deserve it in the least degree, I have the power of God at work within me. I've become in some sense the bearer of God. God Himself is willing to be at work in me through the problems and pressures I go through this day. So first, He wakes up. I'm I'm made in the image of God. Second, I am filled with the Spirit of the living God. Third, I am part of the plan of God. God is working out all things to a great and final purpose in the earth, and I am part of it. If you're in Christ, you are part of it. What I do today is purpose and significance and meaning. This is not a meaningless day I'm going through. Even the smallest incident, the most apparently insignificant word or relationship, is involved in His great plan. Therefore, it all has meaning and purpose. Well, that'll change your day. If you're prone to maybe an Eeyore-type Christian life, like, oh, I'm the worst Christian. I'm terrible. If ever there was a terrible one, it's me. That's not God's assessment of you. And you need to be reminded and have a sober judgment of what it means to be a Christian. Because it means a lot of incredible, amazing things. So rethink your identity. He continues with one last phrase in verse 3 to help us rethink that identity. It says, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So as we think about who we are in Christ, we're to do it soberly, and then according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, as I studied this phrase, this phrase can be interpreted in two primary primary ways. So it's a debatable passage. So I'm going to present a case that I'm persuaded by, and then I want you to go into your own Bibles at home and figure out where where you land. But I'm going to try to figure out why I think it's a certain way. So one way to understand this phrase, that according to the measure of faith, would be 
Um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so we played a lot of video games that had power bars on them, so energy levels. So one way to understand this according to the measure of faith would be there's degrees of faith, kind of like energy levels in a video game, that if you get hit a couple of times, the power starts going down, and then some people have a higher level of power. That's one way to understand this measure of faith, that there's degrees of faith. I'm not as persuaded by that interpretation. Another way to understand it is according to the measure of faith, the word measure can also be translated standard of faith, like a ruler. It's the standard or the measure. And so the way to understand it, if you land there, is that the measure of faith, the standard, is Jesus Christ alone as the entry point into this faith. That's the standard, and all who trust in Jesus, they meet that standard. Now, why I'm convinced of that interpretation is because it fits with Romans 1 through chapter 11, where Paul is clearly making the case that there's nothing you can do except believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. But regardless of where you land on that particular interpretation, the important thing is that you have a sober judgment of who you are in Christ. And that will prepare you to be a useful member of Christ's body. So we don't want to be given to despair, and we don't want to be puffed up and arrogant. We want to have a sober judgment, and that comes from knowing that our identity as Christians is found in Christ alone. Another way to to battle both pride and despair is to remember that when God saved you, you became a part of something much larger. When He saved you, He intended that you would be a part of something much larger, much greater, that you would be a part of His universal body throughout the world, And you would be a part of a local church wherever you live. And he's going to show us that clearly in verses 4 and 5. So that brings us to the second point. Rethink the importance of other Christians. Especially the ones that aren't like us. Verse 4. For as in one body, one human body, Paul's using an illustration here of the human body, we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, the church, though many, are one body in Christ, he's the head, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So Paul's doing something really important here, and he does it in other places in the Bible as well. He's using the human body as an illustration. So I want us to think about the human body. I want us to think about how it all works together as one whole, so your body and my body, and how diverse different parts of our bodies are. Everybody raise your hand. Go like this. Okay, you can put it down. How'd you do that? Well, you did that because your brain responded to raise your hand, and then somehow you were able to go like this, too. Well, the body... Your brain is not your hand, your hand is not your brain, but it all works together in one incredible, complex unity of a body. So I want us to think about how there's different parts and they all work together. Some of you know this, I've been trying to learn how to swim. I I could always swim as a child, I took swim lessons, but I never swam laps. So this 
this year, starting in, in August, I began to try to swim laps. So if, you don't, if you're not a swimmer, try to swim laps and, and think about how many different parts of your body are involved in the freestyle stroke or what maybe you were taught as the front cross. So when you're going like this, you're going like that in your head. So I watched some videos on YouTube about it, and then I, I started to do it. And, and what I've learned is there are many, many different parts of your body involved in the swimming exercise, which is why it's supposed to be good for your health. But what you're trying to do is it, you're doing weird things, like you have to keep your head straight but turn your body. You, you know, things that just don't make sense to our brain. You have to be able to breathe while you're, you're under major strain and you can hardly breathe. So it's like this torturous combination of exercise that involves the whole body. And if my lungs protested one day and said, you know what, I'm doing all the work here, it's not fair. So I said, well, okay, legs and arms, why don't you guys quit and see how the lungs go by themselves. So I jump in the water, lungs are breathing, but there's no movement because it needs arms and feet and legs and head. If the heart did the same thing, I wouldn't be able to swim. If the brain said, I'm shutting down the whole operation, wouldn't be able to swim. It's all connected, but good swimmers, they're not just good athletes, but they're using every different part of their body in the correct way. So they have very good form. They know how to use their hands and their their lungs. They know how to breathe properly. It's all connected. Why am I telling you what I'm doing at the YMCA? Like, I really don't care. Well, the reason I'm telling you is because it's the illustration Paul's using here in Romans. He wants us to think about the human body and how diverse it is. Think about your toes and your feet, your nose. I mean, think about your nose. A nose is weird. It smells. The older you get, the more hair that grows in it. It's just doing all these weird things that, that are very important. So if there's a fire, oftentimes we smell it before we, we see it. it. It just does these incredible things that God designed it to do. And it all works together with the brain. Well, the connection Paul wants us to make is the human body is a really good illustration of how the church is to function, how the church is to come together. So look at verse 5. He says, So we, though many, so he's saying church in Rome, though we, though many, or church throughout the earth, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So it's this incredible combination of unity and diversity. Our human body is incredibly united and incredibly diverse. Incredibly. The church is to be the same way. That's why a church is so different than a club or organization. So if you were or are in the ski club, a ski club is designed primarily around people that like to ski. And so if you're a non-skier, we're not going to be part of the ski club. It's not, it's not for us. It's very specific. Most clubs and organizations are centered around things. So if you're in a singing club, it's for people that can sing. So non-singers like myself, we're not invited to the singing club. Not allowed to come. I can't sing, no matter how hard I try. It's very specific. 
the church is supposed to be completely different. It's this beautiful picture of unity and diversity. F.F. Bruce, a theologian, writes this. He says, Diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature. It is so in grace too. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. Here are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, capacity, might throw in gifts and abilities. Not only so, but since they became Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. The more diverse we are in every area, the more true of a picture of Christ and His church are we are in our little corner of the world. We don't want just a certain kind of person to be a part of this local church. God doesn't want that in this church or, or any church. We want God wants a very diverse church. And so if you have placed your faith in Christ, you're to be a part of a church. Maybe this church, and maybe another church in town, or wherever you live, but you're to be a part and play your part as God intended in that church. But because we're human, at times we, we don't appreciate the diversity enough. We don't maybe appreciate the diversity in gifts and abilities and personalities and backgrounds and ethnicities. I mean, think of personality alone. Think if we're honest, we often like to to be around people that are similar to us, that process information in a similar way. Um, Those of you who are members or have been coming to the church for a while, you realize we we have three pastors, myself, Bob Mundorf, and Mark Altrogi. And if you know us at all, we're, we're three very different people. And so if you're in a pastor's meeting, we try to meet every Wednesday. Here's just a, a, just a snapshot of each's personality, myself included. Bob is the most precise person I know. He's all about precision. So if I say, Bob, I think we need to have some verbal communication about this idea. He will say, do you mean oral or written? I say, no, I just meant verbal. I didn't think past verbal. I just meant we've got to tell somebody something. Mark is creative. He's an artist. He's a songwriter. He's an idea person. So if we say, Mark, what do you think? What should we do about this? Boom. We've got a hundred things. Oh, no. Well, that won't work. And, that, and, and, and for myself, and we all have different gifts, not just the ones I'm highlighting, but I'm more of the planner of the group. So I like to revisit the plan that we talked about and see if we're actually doing that plan or make a plan for the new idea. Now, each of those gifts and abilities um, has a strength and has a temptation. So if you're a planner, like me, when somebody shows up at a meeting and forgets that there ever was a plan in the universe, well, that, well, that can be confusing. But if you're creative, you might feel constrained by the plan. Well, I don't like always thinking about a plan. Or if you're very precise, a vague idea is hard to, to work with. And here's the thing, that in a very small way, you know, Bob's 
gift of being precise is a reflection of God. God is very precise. Mark's gifts of being creative are a very clear reflection of God as creator. And me as a planner, God planned the earth. He made it in six days. And he planned that Jesus would come at a certain time. So he likes plans as well. The point is, we all have gifts and abilities. And I'm not talking about sin issues, just gifts and abilities, God-given gifts and abilities that are meant to, to work together to accomplish God's mission on the earth, which is to make disciples, to, to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. God's going to most effectively do that by using a whole bunch of different gifts and abilities that He has placed in this church. But you might be tempted by those who have gifts and abilities that are not like yours. And so a way to guard against that is to ask God to help you. Lord, help me to see why their strength is so important. And as you get older, you might think, well, I'm glad the whole world's not made like me, because that, that would be bad, that would be boring, that wouldn't be fun, or whatever it would be. But we don't want to just have a certain kind of person who is a part of Saving Grace Church. We want to have a diverse group that God has designed to be a part of this church to help us fulfill what He's calling us to do generally and specifically as a local church. So I want you to rethink just the importance of the other church members around you. It is good to have people not like us around us. We need each other. And you think of the human body. You know, pick a part of your body and pick another part. Think of two that are not like each other at all. They're both vital. They're both really, really important. But my foot probably doesn't think about my elbow very often. But my foot should. You know, if we're in a situation where we're wrestling, I'm using my foot and my elbow. We need it all to work together. So that's what I want you to think. You, you have a part to play as well, which is the final point. Rethink our usefulness in the church. Rethink our usefulness. So our identity is clear in Christ. We, we realize we're just one part of a much larger thing. But we're called to be useful in the church. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now what follows after verse 6, or part of 6 and following, is a whole bunch of gifts, and Mark's going to talk about them next week. But I purposely stopped here because I want us to think about, first, we all have gifts from God. And then second, we need to use those. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This word, gifts, literally means grace-given gifts. So when you became a Christian, God gave you gifts for the church to be a part, to play that part that He has intended for you in the church. Maybe a singular gift, it may be many gifts, but you have a part to play. It's a gift, so you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a grace gift. You didn't get it because of your character at the time. You got it because Jesus saved you, and then He gave you gifts. All of us. So if you are a Christian, you have a part to play 
in the local church that you're a part of. So maybe it's this church, maybe it's another church, but I want you to get a clear vision that you are to be a part, to play a very specific part with the ability or abilities God has given you in the church. You might say, well, I'm excited. I'd love to do it, but I have no idea what my gifts are. I don't know what to do. I think, I think here's what you do. You pray, you ask others who know you well, and you start helping out in a certain part of the church. And I'm not meaning necessarily just the Sunday morning meeting or the very official parts of the church, but if you picture the human body, it's this unity and diversity. So it's taking meals to each other, it's praying for one another, it's encouraging one another, it's writing notes to one another, it's, it's sharing truth with one another, whatever that would be that is just laid on your heart. And sometimes, here's something we need to come to grips with, that maybe the gifts that we want are not the gifts that God has given us. I joked about me singing. I would love to be able to sing, but it's just not one God has given me, so I need to just get over that. I'm assuming when we get to heaven, I'll be able to sing, but right now, I can't sing. Sing well. I can sing to the Lord, but I can't sing well. Well, we've got to be okay with that. That um, When I sent my notes to Bob, Bob mentioned, he said, make sure you tell the church that there are times when you become a Christian that God gives you gifts that, that weren't the ones you were looking for. Bob said in an email, he said, I and he's told me this many times, you're left to himself. He said, I would just live in the woods and go hunting. Um, he, he never wanted to stand in front of people. He never wanted to get up in front of a large crowd of people and open this book and teach. Now, don't get me wrong. He loves doing it now. But it was not natural to him. And it was a surprise of his salvation. If you were here last Sunday, Bob did a great job teaching God's Word. That was a grace gift that God gave him to just play one part in strengthening the church. God gives us all gifts, and they're they're to be used. That's why he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ, so the assumption is we all have them, let us use them. So you have gifts The question is, are you using them? Let us use them. God gifted you to be a blessing to the church. So the question is, are you using the gifts God has given you? To help us just get our minds around this, I want to press us a little bit with the parable that Jesus told about the talents. He said, how how would we be prepared when Christ returns, if he would return in our age? What, What should we do? How should we be ready? This should be projected behind you, but if not, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. So think about this. In the context, God's given you gifts. He wants us to use them. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and trusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So the master is given out of talents. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of his servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, 
I've made five talents more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had two talents came forward and saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you could not scatter no seed. So I was afraid. You can picture his heads down. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. This is God's word speaking. Not, I didn't write this. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has given, who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And they cast the worthless servant into the darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is a parable about our talents, the things that God gives us. We have been radically rescued by Jesus. And then, you have been given gifts and abilities to serve Jesus, which I know many of you use. But some of you might. Some of you might have put them in a shelf, put them in the shed, stopped using them. God intends and desires that, that He would be glorified through the gifts He's given you. That the church would be strengthened through the gifts He's given you, that the world around us would be reached in a greater way because of the gifts He's given you. So as we rethink our identity, that we are secure in our salvation because of Jesus. Let us think about how we can serve the Lord. As you think about the importance of each other, how we can appreciate one another and grow in working together in unity as Christ is our head. And then... This would be a great discussion for fellowship group. How can you use your gifts in an increased way this year? Whether it's part of this church or part of another church, that would be something God intends for you to do. He, he bought you with a price. And here's the good news. There is just joy after joy. You, if you do what I'm saying, what I'm saying from God's Word, and you get to heaven, you're not going to be saying, oh, I wish I would not have served you, Lord. I wish I would have just been... Hanging out by myself in the woods would have been so much better. No, you, you, you're going to be smiling when Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. Let's celebrate. Let's pray and have the worship team come up. Father, thank You for this church. Thank You for the diversity amidst unity. But we want to grow in both. We want to be more diverse and more united. Holy Spirit, we need Your help to do that. And Lord, help us as members of the church to use our gifts in a way that brings You honor and glory, brings You joy, brings us joy in doing, and and help us to do it with motives that honor You. Lord, we thank You that You love us, You bought us, 
And you intend to use us for your glory. We pray you would use us mightily in this area. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. You may stand.